Yeah, it's funny. It's like there's, I think, practitioners. You can tell when a practitioner hits a certain level of maturity when they stop picking the details and they start thinking about those kinds of things, you know. And、uh, you know, so it's like, as a young practitioner, I remember being frustrated with that. I would have some teachers who would be like, "Yeah, but you know, like, how does it feel to?"、I'd、be like, "Dude, that's so dumb." Now it's like I'm in a transition phase where I'm starting to like really, like I'm read, I'm you know, I'm getting there a little bit. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. In the first grade, I was able to write, well, print, with a standard yellow number two pencil. It fit my hand. But in school, we were required to use these big, fat red pencils. It made me feel clumsy. It hurt to hold it, and my letters were not as well formed. When I asked if I could use the nice yellow pencil instead, I was told that the fat red ones were better for kids my age. In the sixth grade, I was checking out books from the bookmobile. The bookmobile books delivered on wheels. I Loved it completely, but I did not love the librarian that told me I should not be reading the eighth grade level books that I was checking out. She said they were too difficult for me. For a long time now, I've been trying to square my sense of the world with the way that the world was being described to me by others, and I learned long, long ago that people with the best of intentions were not always so helpful, and. It wasn't because they didn't want to, but that I and perhaps you as well had aspects of us that did not fit, and so were overlooked, ignored, or maybe even labeled as wrong or problematic. It's been a troublesome blessing learning to hold my own counsel, to use uncomfortable situations as an opportunity, to. Puzzle into the heart of troublesome contradictions by inquiring into staunch beliefs, with the question of, "Is that so?" Along the way, I have found that I am as unreliable as that first-grade teacher and bookmobile librarian. I overlook novel opportunity, ignore a seemingly insignificant outlying data point, and all too easily sleepwalk. Through my comfortable heuristics, keeping an open mind is hard. It's easy to dismiss another's perspective that conjures uncomfortable feelings with a casual hand wave of preconcluded prejudice. Now, I wished I'd joined that debate team in high school and learned how to argue both sides of an argument. It's much easier to find confirmation for our answers. Than to stand in the discomfort of uncertainty, and look for proof that we are wrong. We all have a perseverant child within that is unhappy and destructive. It feels like progress to tear down the apparent source of our distress, and at times we do need our own catalytic disaster. But it's also possible, and perhaps in the long run, more helpful to take that discomfort. And use it as a fuel to build something that doesn't yet exist. But first, we have to catch an unguarded glimpse of it, and that just might be enough if you're willing for the change you want to see 
to unfold at the pace of nature. Our lives are a voyage of discovery. We might think we know what we want, but often enough, our choices are a matter of getting rid of the discomfort of the moment. But now and again, something shows up that doesn't quite make sense, and yet it will grab your attention and not let go. Like a song stuck in your head, or that persistent feeling that you're onto something, but you can't quite put it into words. Perhaps there is such a thing as fate, but it never speaks in words. It communicates with image, feeling, and something like a forgotten instinct. In this conversation with David Allen, we discuss the curious and circuitous path that brought him to East Asian medicine and to the practice of pediatrics, and how the influence of a mentor helped him to find the ground that was his to stand on. I suspect we have all been fortunate to have had someone of influence show up at a pivotal moment and remind us of something that our future self would recognize as true. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. 
And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Let's get into this conversation with David on the path of practice and how following your hunches is a reliable form of navigation. David Allen, welcome to Geological. Hi, thank you. So happy to have you here. I was poking around on your website because I often will do that. I like to see what my guests, what they're up to and what their website looks like. That picture on the front of your website <laughs> is amazing, and I would love to know the backstory on it. Yeah, it's a couple of kids that I treat, and the mom is a professional photographer. So those kids are actually pretty amazing. They're quite funny because they would always show up, and both of the boys, the shoes would be just full of sand and dirt, and she would always bring them in just so filthy and dirty and and the kids were great, actually. They were fantastic kids. The mom was fantastic. So we just did some trades, and she took some photog- uh, some photographs, and yeah, so it all worked out. Yeah. She captured an extraordinary moment of exchange between you and that kid. He's a sweet little kid. It wasn't so hard. He, he's a really nice, such a nice family. Mm. When I looked at that, my first thought was, you know, when people ask me what acupuncture feels like? It feels like that picture. Yeah, I mean, geez, if every kid I treated was as sweet as those kids, you know, well, if every adult I treated was as sweet as those kids, man, make for an easy day every day, you know? Well, so you work with pediatrics a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of a superpower to be able to work with kids. I can do teenagers, but like little kids, I just, totally different planet for me. I'm curious to know what drew you into this particular aspect of practice? Honestly, so when I started school at, uh, at PCOM in San Diego, I was 23 and it's a pretty young. And at that time I had, I had zero interest in kids. I had never done like, um, I had no experience with kids. Like I had never done like summer camps or anything like that. But 
what happened was the first semester course, the intro to theory class, the OM class, the um, five element, mm -hmm. yin yang class, all that stuff. The teacher who was teaching that, I just kind of attached myself to him. I just was really impressed with that class. And that really was kind of the wind in my sails for the rest of the four years. And so what I did was I went and asked him at some point, I said, hey, look, can I come and see you at the clinic? Can I come and assist? And he was like, yeah, sure, come. So I went over there, checked it out. And so then I was like, all right, here, look, given my schedule, I can be here every once a week from this time to this time. And I will be here every day for the term. As long as I have that day open, I will be here. I promise to be here and I'll do whatever. And he said, fine. Yeah, come. So the way it ended up working was, so he ended up kind of just becoming a mentor of mine, really. And the way that his practice worked was he was treating gosh, it was 15 patients in a six-hour period. So we were seeing three patients an hour with a little break. So 15 patients on any given day, maybe two or three of those patients would be kids. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen was what I was doing then, and so I did this for the whole four years of my uh, school career, and what I was doing was basically just turning tables, flipping patients, doing moxa, doing a massage, everything kind of just assisting, right? And so always my favorite part of the day would be if I could go in during diagnosis. Yes. So if I could observe him questioning, and that was always the thing that I wanted to see the most because it was the best chance I had during the day to learn something. Of course. Because he was a bit the word laconic. He didn't talk much. And so you really had to kind of pester him with questions a lot to extract information out of him. But in the clinic space, suddenly he was quite talkative and he was getting a lot out of the patient. And so this was my moment to kind of learn something. And so that got to be kind of my favorite part of the day. And then the other thing that was what was really nice was because we were busy all day, right? So just running around room to room to room. It was a busy day. And the way that he would work with his pediatric patients was he would go in. So I'd probably be doing something else. He would go in, talk to the parents. And then he had a little, what do you call it? Like a little eyeliner pencil. Mm -hmm. And he would actually just draw little X's on the points that he wanted me to stimulate on the kids. So then he would go in, talk to them. He would mark some little points. So he would come up with his diagnosis and treatment. He would mark the little points with the eyeliner pencil. And then he would often draw something on their forearm, like a giraffe or an elephant or something like that. So <laughs> anytime course. I went in there, there was always drawers all over the kids and stuff. <laughs> and then so he would leave and then he would go out and do something else, put needles in a patient. And then I would go in and I would actually sit there and stimulate the points. So then that actually got to kind of be my favorite part of the day because it was like you would just get to relax. I would just get to sit and hang out with the kid and talk to the parents and find out what was going on. And he didn't mind if I asked them questions to see what was going on. And, you know, I'd see the points he was using and I could try to figure out what I thought was going on. And so because I was spending the bulk of my day when I could be still and hang out and relax, and talk to a patient was with the pediatric patients. So you kind of got this affinity for them just because you kept, were doing it over and over again. Just by accident, yeah. So again, I had no interest in kids. It wasn't something I was thinking about at all. But 
just the fact that it was the one time in the day where I had to sit and relax and actually just kind of hang out with the patients and find out what was going on, then what would happen is I would start to learn things and I, I would go and ask him questions. I'd be like, they said this was going, I don't understand that. And then he would explain it to me. Because I didn't have so much time with the adults, it, I wasn't learning so much with the, as much with the adults. So with the kids, I was just learning, learning, learning. And then it just got to be where it was like, just hanging out with the kids was like fun. You know, it was just like the best part of the day. It just was like, I felt relaxed and they were relaxed and everybody was relaxed. It was like such a nice, pleasant situation to be in. So, so for my part, I just sort of really just fell into pediatrics. It wasn't something that was interesting to me prior to that at all. It seems to me, I love these kind of stories because it seems to me that the universe, even though it's kind of a mess when you look at it through one perspective, it's incredibly generous through others. And sometimes it will just put us in a situation or it will take and put something in front of us until we start to notice, oh, look at that. And then a whole world opens up. It's amazing. You know, it's, I would have to say that my whole life has somehow operated on that principle looking back at it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, it, in the moment, it's always by accident and happenstance, and I'm just sort of bumbling along. But looking, like, with retros, in retrospect, looking at it, it's, it's always been like that. Yes. I was studying, I was doing history, basically. I was studying history in my undergrad in Los Angeles, and I really wasn't too clear exactly what I was planning. I, you know, I just was doing what I liked, but no plan. So then what happened was they brought, somewhere around my junior year, I think, they brought this guy, and he, I'm trying to tell the story from the, a 19-year-old's perspective. It was like they brought this guy, and he was like some kind of Taoist master who was going to come and offer a class to teach Qigong. And he had the pedigree, right? He had been discovered at age nine by his master and had spent the last... 50 years in caves or something, you know, so it piqued my interest, right? I was doing Western history. I was studying the history of religions and this and that, and but entirely the Western world. So to have somebody come and be teaching sort of Chinese culture, Chinese philosophy, teaching Qigong specifically, I'm not even sure what grabbed me about it. It was just somebody said something and then the way they spun the story, I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I'll go see this. Oh, a living fossil. That's interesting. Well, it was like, oh, cool, you know, it was like something out of a movie. <laughs> so I enrolled in the class and I went to it, and he just turned out to be a really neat guy. He turned out to be a really interesting guy. Like, so everyone just called him master, and he was from the Shanghai area, and he didn't speak English, so he had a translator. And he was a really understated, humble guy. He was more, he didn't smile a whole lot, but he was still somehow very sweet he was reserved, very reserved, and but something came across. But what was funny about it was like it, it was it was like little things, or I guess ultimately big things. Like for example, he was like he we were so we're learning qigong, we're moving our arms around and stuff. A bunch of nineteen year olds waving our arms around. Right, wait, <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, and he says, okay, let's try something. Through the translator, he says, let's try this. So why don't you guys go and stand against the wall? Put your hand on the wall and just try to project your chi into the wall and see if you feel anything. So, okay, it's just another random day and in class. And so it's a bunch of kids standing there with their hands on the wall and 
kind of looking at each other like, do you feel anything? Uh, no, no. I don't, what are we doing? I don't know. So just project your energy into the wall, project your chi into the wall and see if you feel something, you know, so, oh, I don't know. So then we're all standing there against the wall and he's going around looking at everybody. So he's kind of going down the line, sort of looking at people's hands and just kind of checking them out. And so he's just going down, going down, going down. And then he comes to me and he looks at me and he just was sort of looking at me and then he takes his hand and he puts it in the middle of my back just kind of like between the shoulder blades he just puts my his hand on my back yeah hooked up to the mothership yeah and so i'm just standing there and he's got his hand on my back and you know we're kind of in awe of this guy anyway so he's just standing there with his hand on my back and then after a few seconds i start to feel this really really strong vibration like just like like this really strong buzzing sensation and then pretty soon after a few seconds after that it gets to be quite intense it's like this like this kind of almost like this wong 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 inside my body and i'm just a kid i'm not predisposed to feeling anything i'm not predisposed to like believing in fairies or whatever so i'm just standing there having the experience and then he just walks on and so a couple of people next to me are like looking at me and they're like oh what would happen was what, what happened, I was what doing then, like, and so well, I, I did this know, for the whole four years. See him like moving his hand on my back, like back and forth. Like wasn't he hitting me on the back or something? And they were like, no, he wasn't moving at all. He was just standing there, very not moving at all. I was like, oh, oh, it's very strange. So then I tell you, I mean, I've forgotten more stories about this guy than I can remember. I remember one time. Somebody asked a question in class and they said something like, is it possible that one person's chi can like affect another person's chi? Is, is this possible? Is it, how does this work? And he was like, well, yeah, certainly, certainly it does affect your chi does affect other people. And he sort of, he talks about it a little bit. He says like, like, think about it, like just how you speak to somebody, it affects them, how they feel, Right. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's your chi affecting their chi. Like, oh, okay. I, I guess I understand what you mean by chi a little bit. And then he sort of stops for a second and then he kind of looks down and then he goes, almost reluctantly, he goes, I'll tell you what, stand up. So the girl, this girl who had asked the question, she stands up. He says, okay, now go to the other side of the room. And so she walks over to the other side of the room and then he says, turn your back to us. So she's standing at the other side of the room and we can all see her and she has her back to us, right? And then he kind of takes out his hand and sort of points his palm towards her. And then he kind of looks at her and he gets this kind of serious look on his face. And then he takes his breath and he goes... Hmm. <laughs> like that he kind of makes this funny little grunt noise but right as he did the grunt noise her knees gave out from under her they just like buckled from out from under her and then just as it seemed like she was about to fall he sort of throws his hand the other way with the back of his hand towards her and kind of makes this breathing noise he kind of goes <laughs> like that and she just sort of stops in midair like she's about to fall this is like the Jedi mind trick or something it's totally so then she just sort of almost falls and then stops right and then he was like, okay, you see, your chi does affect other people, you see? And everybody's like, whoa, yeah, I mean, wow. And he's like, okay, class dismissed. So then a couple of us sort of crowding around this girl were like, well, what happened to you? She's like, she was very discombobulated. She was like, I, I'm not, I don't know. She's like, I was standing there. And then all of a sudden I was kind of nervous. And then I just sort of blacked out. It was very weird. And then I woke up in a different position. And then she was just genuinely confused. Mm. Like she was just kind of standing there like a little dazed, a little confused and stuff. So it was like, 
again, I'm just some kid see this guy doing this thing. And it's like, wow. So what happened was his translator was a licensed acupuncturist. So a few of us not really needing acupuncture, but just in an attempt to be kind of place ourselves in that world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We thought, well, let's go hang out with the translator. She must be cool, you know. And Acupuncture, that might be interesting. Yeah, it's this other weird thing. Who knows? Exactly. And so then we go and we're getting acupuncture from her. And then she would tell us stories about hanging out with the master. And one of the stories she told us, again, I, I've forgotten more than I can remember. One of the stories she tells us, she says, after one of the classes, this was at night, so the class ends around nine, and her and the master are walking back towards their car. And she says, as they're walking, they're walking on the sidewalk, he looks over and there's a little, there's some grass and a bush, and he sees a rabbit eating some grass. And he looks at the rabbit, he goes, oh, little rabbit. And she said, the rabbit turns and looks at him. And then he says, oh, hi, little rabbit, come here. And she said, the rabbit ran up to him and then is just sitting there on its butt, staring up at him, looking at him. And then he goes, hi, nice to see you. And then so they get in the car and the rabbit's still kind of watching him, you know, so looking at him as he gets in the car. And then they're about to pull away and the rabbit's still sort of staring at him. So he rolls down the window and he pops his head out and he says, okay, you can go, you can go, rabbit. And she said the rabbit just runs off and goes back, you know, runs under a bush and disappears. So everything I had been doing up to that point suddenly seemed pointless on some level it was just like it completely spun my head up where i was like whatever this guy is that's what i want to be like that's what i want to do with my life i had to that point been a thoroughgoing science fiction reader and and really enjoyed so it was like so it just got me i was like this is clearly possible and whatever he's up to i want to do that so basically i finished out my diploma or got my degree still in history because I was already practically done with it. But then that just kind of started this whole kind of long love affair with everything Chinese. So I'm half Korean. So it kind of, it got me back into my Korean roots and started learning a lot about just East Asia in general. And I ended up, I was actually living in China, teaching English and trying to learn Chinese and this and that, which was ultimately doomed to failure. But well, that's a long project. Like learning Chinese, that's a long ass project. It's not a small thing. Well, I'll go do it in a few months. I'll be fluent, but. And so a friend of mine kept emailing me and bugging me because he wanted to go to medical school. And he had this weird idea. He was convinced that we would go to medical school together and help each other through the program and, and all this stuff. And I was like, no, that's insane. And somehow what it did was it, it planted that seed that it would be cool to be a doctor. Mm. It just was like, being a doctor would be pretty neat, actually. That sounds like really cool. And somehow that seed got planted. And then just one day, it just just clicked. It was like, oh, acupuncture. There you go. Yeah. So that day I applied, I went and did an online application for PCOM San Diego. And within a week, I was out of, I was on a plane leaving China, maybe even shorter than that, coming back for an interview at, at PCOM. So when you talk about sort of like, the universe being abundant, I have to admit that it does seem to be the case because certainly nothing about what I do now mm. has anything to do with my native intelligence or something or like it was just like it wasn't like I had some plan, you know. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. 
a working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I think I would disagree with that. I wouldn't say that it doesn't have anything to do with your native intelligence. In fact, it might have a lot to do with your native intelligence. It certainly didn't have to do with my vision move. <laughs> I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You know. Well, okay. I mean, there's always that. How many of us and how many of you listening right now? I got this plan for my life and it's going to go like that. And how many of us just plain don't manifest that? I know very few people who are like, I know what I'm doing and I'm going there and they do it. I know a few people and they tend to be extraordinary in whatever it is that they're doing because they've been so phenomenally single-minded. Mm. But I think many of us, we have to go through these like seasons and cycles and there's like something and we know eh, it's not that, it's not that, maybe it's this, I don't know. You know, we knock around. I know for myself, I mean, listening to your story, I'm, I'm thinking... I understand something of what you're talking about because for me, everything good in my life, everything amazing that has brought meaning and connection and joy has always come from the periphery. It was never the thing straight ahead of me. Mm. It was always that weird little thing over there and that kind of catches your attention. It turns you a certain way. A few more steps, you're in a whole different space. <laughs> Certainly. Things open up. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the field of acupuncture filters for sort of certain types a lot of the time, you know. So it's like I often I have the idea that the field of acupuncture filters for like what we would think of as like woody types or livery types, you know, liver type people where it's like, you know, I think because wood has that the general. So the general has is given the instructions. So the general has the plan. Right. So the general says, okay, the emperor wants that piece of real estate over there. So then they have to be able to see the outcome. We want to go and defend our borders here. So they have to be able to think into the future, see that thing in the future and say, okay, that's what we want to get to. And then they have to step back and then get all their ducks in a row. Right. So make sure all of the soldiers have food and da 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 da. da. How are they going to get there? Are they going to have what they need when they get there? So I, I think the part of the personality related to wood at least has something to do with this ability to see into the future to some degree and to make a plan to move towards that. And it's like acupuncture school filters for people with that plan. 
I don't know about that. I've met a lot of people that have gone to acupuncture school, and they can't plan their way out of a damn paper bag. <laughs> We're not unlike cats. We're not, yeah. But what you bring up, the piece about vision, and yes, we can see that as being part of the general or that woody element. There's something else I was talking with another person recently, and she, and she brought up the uh, archetype of oracle, which doesn't really fit in the five phases. It fits within Chinese culture deeply. People do fortune telling and oracle work all over the place through Chinese history and even in modern China and Taiwan, in particular in my time there. And when I think about like the way that I came to it, and I hear your story, the way that you kind of wound your way into it. It wasn't general. General looks and knows, has logistics. I mean, the general is basically Amazon. We got a bunch of stuff. We got logistics. We can get things where they are. We're going to take the command of the emperor. We're going to do what needs to be done. But then there's this other spirit, this like oracle spirit, where you get a glimpse and you don't know where it's going to take you, but you get a glimpse and that does something to your destiny shifts you. I see what you're driving at. I, I wonder to what degree, sometimes the way that I see, like, do you ever have the experience in the clinic where somebody is saying a bunch of symptoms and you're taking the pulse, you're doing things, and it's like you're you're not totally sure what's going on. You may even finish a treatment and walk out and still you're kind of unclear what's going on. And then it may be like a week later, all of a sudden you'll just out of nowhere, it'll just kind of click. Like it'll just pop into your head what's going on with that person or at least a new theory, right? And it's like, hearing you say it that way makes me, you know, there's something about the way, if we're talking again about native intelligence, there's something about the way that intelligence works for me or at least knowledge works for me or even if you want to call it intuition where, again, it's kind of this thing that doesn't feel like it's me on some level, like it is, but it's not. Like the seeds are planted for to re, have a realization, but I can't make a realization happen. It's kind of gifted to me from the universe. Yes, and and here's the other thing that I found. It comes from the periphery. If I'm trying to see it, like I'm in clinic and I'm working with that patient, and I kind of have an idea, but I'm not super clear. I'm going to do the best treatment I can because I'm looking too closely. Sometimes when I'm in clinic, if I will just pull myself back a little bit and see what else is coming, not from the center of my focus, but paying attention to what's at the edges. It's a curious thing because I wonder, you think about something like the earth element. We say that the earth element has to do with intelligence. We say intellect, right? This, this notion of the E. So digesting food in the same way that we digest information and turn it into knowledge, raw data, you know, raw data and turn it into useful concepts and so it's interesting where earth gets placed in Chinese medicine because we we put it in the five elements around in the circle and it fits for the way we describe it. Like fire, earth and metal, right? It all fits. But on another level, like thinking about, for example, the seasons. Yes. Like it doesn't fit there, right? No, it always goes in the center. And between every season, we come back to Earth. And I think that's right. Yeah. So there's this question of periphery, your sort of intuition about periphery, and then 
it's interesting that the Chinese would call themselves the center people, the people of the middle or the middle people, and, and that Earth always has this very special place in the center of all the elements. You know, when you look at it from a, like a Zongfu perspective, like Earth takes the center space in between all of these things. And it's almost like, so there's these different things, like, you know, what's the nature of Earth compared to other things? And I wonder, you, you talk about oracles, and I wonder to the degree that if we're talking about Earth as an intellect, but it's more than just the ability to think. And it does have to do with something about realization. And I, I wonder to what degree there's some relationship to be had. The nature of food is on the periphery until it's in the center. You know, you grab it and you pull it in, you eat the thing, and then suddenly it's in the center and it's nourishing you. And it's like mm -hmm. information's on the periphery and something about intuition, something about the oracle taking things from the periphery and bringing them to the center stage in your mind and in your in your. I don't know, something about the way you say that makes me think about that. The other thing about that character, E, right, the spirit of the earth, the E, some have translated as significance, things that make a difference. It's often translated as meaning. Hmm. I mean, in modern Chinese, Isa, E, it means meaning. It's, and it's, you know, the character is sound over heart, as I recall. Yeah, I think these things are ripe. Mm-hmm these kinds of broader definitions. and Because where else are you going to place intuition? Where else are you going to place realization? The discovery of meaning. I mean, maybe the experience of meaning is one thing, but the realization of meaning might be another thing. Maybe it has to do with that transition from fire to earth or something like that. Very curious. Mm -hmm. I enjoy where we're winding around with this. So often when I think about the five phases, there's this kind of a fixedness to it. Oh, this is this and this is that, hard about communication, wood about outward expression. But to take some other ideas and it's like, well, where do these other things fit in? Like, where does inspiration come from? And how does that fit in? This shows up in our clinic all the time. I wonder to what degree we learn about five phase or five element in school but how much are we really thinking about it clinically? Now, often what I found in my just sort of my education has been the realm of five element really seems to be about acupuncture in a lot of ways. Like acupuncture systems that I'm familiar with, it's a much more five element oriented understanding, circulation, and these kinds of things. Whereas herbs is like Zhang Fu is more the realm of herbs. And then Zhang Fu has this relative fixity where things are how they are. You have pathomechanisms, and there's a very sort of strict set of symptoms and some signs, and then a diagnosis and a treatment principle and a treatment. And in fact, I mean, in herbs, you need a diagnosis before you can make a treatment, mm -hmm. right? This is clear. But in acupuncture, this is not the case, I think. This is what I'm realizing is like you don't need a diagnosis to perform at least a reasonably good acupuncture treatment. But you have to have something that's guiding you. You need something to guide you. You can't just be like, oh, I just feel like doing this. I mean, maybe you can. That, that's never worked for me. I wonder. I mean, I hear you. And I think, I mean, if we're talking about, I think what I'm driving at is that acupuncture has space in it. Acupuncture has a lot more space for different ideas about physiology, different ideas about 
how a diagnosis should work and certainly incredibly different ideas about how treatments should work. I feel like you see this in herbs, but not as readily as you see this in acupuncture, because I think what you see in acupuncture is that different systems can be so wildly different from each other. You can have Sa'am techniques where they say, look, in spleen deficiency, you shouldn't supplement earth because that will increase the amount of dampness. Exactly. Yes. I have made that mistake. Yeah. So the treatment principle then is it, you're, now you've suddenly come up against, but you're supposed to supplement earth, you know, but then you look at- Okay. So here's the thing. And I love this because I've been doing a little on myself lately, which has completely blown my world wide open in terms of thinking about acupuncture because of the way that it puts together the six chi with the five phases. Mm. So if we're thinking in TCM terms, oh yeah, they're spleen deficient, which means they're damp and they've got all this excess dampness. In TCM, that's called spleen deficiency. But if you're thinking in the Sa'am terms, you're thinking of the foot tie-in spleen tie-in is earth, spleen is earth. There's nothing more earthy than the spleen. There's nothing more damp than the spleen because tie-in is about fluids and earth is about dampness. And so from this on point of view, in TCM, what you call spleen deficiency, that's actually spleen excess. They have too much spleen energy. The spleen is overabundant in fluid and it's earth. And so what you do for that is you bring in the cool, dry yangming mm -hmm. of the large intestine, and that will dry out the spleen. And that's what you do herbally. When you go to, I'm using air quotes, tonify the spleen with herbs, baiju, fuling, maybe changju, mm. right? We're bringing in these things that parch and drain and dry it out. Very yangming kinds of herbs. Mm -hmm. So... I think there are ways of bringing together the six chi with those five phases. When I was in acupuncture school, I was always curious about the actual long name of a channel. And they never addressed it when I was in school. We just learned like, oh yeah, lung channel. You could call it hand tie-in lung, but we just called it lung for short. But what happens when you're thinking it's the tie-in lung? What do you think about when you think about tie-in? Does that have a meaning? What other associations come with that that we might be able to use when we're working through a treatment? That it's tie-in. Lung is tie-in, but it's tie-in metal as opposed to spleen, tie-in earth. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's got that metal thing going on. There's like there's aspects of dryness and there's aspects of dampness. And again, I'm just, I'm kind of riffing on, on the conversation we're having because I think acupuncture is, is very much a, a form of treatment where we can bring in lots of different ideas and then right before our very eyes find out how they work. Wait, this is an amazing, this notion of acupuncture as being sort of infinitely malleable. Mm that you really, the, the treat, even within one system, the treatment options are endless. You know, as long as it's a proper channel therapy type, traditional, you know, sort of 
pre-TCM sort of acupuncture system. I mean, any system you learn, it's just, it's your options are endless. The, the closer you get to the mark, the better the treatment will work. Mm -hmm. But you can be wrong and still get some results. This is a nice, I think it's very, it makes me very relaxed about acupuncture. But the joy of it is the better and better you get at it, the better the results become. And as you said, the feedback is so inspiring. Getting that instantaneous feedback and having the patient say like weird stuff like, oh, I, I feel like when you do that in my hand, like I feel my hip like open up and that thing hurt, you know, and you're like, oh, I'll go home. Like after somebody says something like that, I'll go home just high. I'm just like, oh, acupuncture is so cool. You know, it's just so like those kinds of things. And, and I think that it comes back to, I think on some level, if it's a shame in a way that acupuncture isn't widely taught, at least in the United States, acupuncture, like pre sort of TCM acupuncture, and it really just depends on the teachers that are available at any given time in your school. But at the same time, it's like, if we're going to talk about what inspires us, it's like, we are living through a Chinese medicine renaissance in the United States and in Europe right now. Absolutely. What I often say to my students is like, they don't even realize how good they have it. Well, you know, you probably remember the days when it was only, it was like Felix Mann and that was it. Nowadays, it's like, it's so much, you know, there's so many superheroes of Chinese medicine, you know, Toby and Suzanne Rubido and these people who are going into these places and bringing it back out. Yes. So I think the beauty of even if the education, the schools aren't necessarily doing a great job of teaching the acupuncture side of it, there's so many resources now for people to go out and really learn an acupuncture system and really rediscover the inspiration, the place where they can really gain some inspiration by really honing their acupuncture skills and really getting good at their acupuncture. And, and I think there's a beauty to acupuncture that just, I love herbs, but there's something about acupuncture that just blows me away. And I think it comes back to this thing we were talking about, five elements. And I think there's a lot of space in five elements for interpretation. And, and this was something that my mentor always said to me. He said, look, man, He's like, if you want to be good at Chinese medicine, I mean, like good at Chinese, like really good at Chinese medicine, you have to learn to see the world in terms of Chinese medicine. Yes, spot on. So it was like, can you observe the birth and death of a love affair according to the phases of the five elements? Can you, you, you see yourself and your partner in terms of not just your Western psychology, but in terms of your constitutional types and yin and yang and can you see the world in these terms and can you make that your instinct so that you really shift how your brain works i love that phrase make it your instinct yeah it's the first pop the first you Oof. see somebody the first thing that pops into your head is something chinese medicine related that's a chai hu case there mm -hmm. oh that's a there's a fire type if i ever saw one yeah look at all that curly hair boy so it's these kinds of things. And since we started out talking about mentorship and that kind of thing, you know, I think the thing that was the most important for me in having a mentor at such an early stage was not that I learned so much about diagnosis. It wasn't that I learned so much about herbs and acupuncture. I did, but it wasn't that. I think the thing that sustained me 
in that relationship and the thing that has that what i got from that relationship that has sustained me till now is how he operated how he was in the world how his relationship to chinese medicine he lived and breathed it he was a tea drinker not a coffee drinker just simple things i'm not i'm not not bagging anyone that drinks coffee but it does show something there's a certain appreciation there's everything had came back to what he instilled in me about what the values of acupuncture should be what the values of medicine should be from a chinese perspective and that gave me what i realize now was that it gave me so much confidence so that even if my diagnostic skills weren't that good when i graduated even if my treatments weren't very good when i graduated and i don't know anything about herbs when i graduated i felt good i felt ready well, you got something from him in terms of heart. His heart was in it. His shen was thoroughly rooted in it. And there's something kind of magical when you put your heart into something. It doesn't matter what it is. If you got your heart in it, it's kind of like the secret sauce. Like, how do you make that work? Well, I got my heart in it. I got skin in the game. Yeah, that's a funny way to put it, skin in the game, because if you, <laughs> that's a funny way to say that, because if you really, if you really shift your brain and like change your instincts, you're completely changing how your brain works. That's about as much skin in the game as you could possibly have. Like, look, you Chinese philosophy people, I'm trusting my brain with you. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm going to adopt these notions and change how my brain works. I'm trusting you on this one. You know, that's like <laughs> talk about skin in the game. I'm not just trusting my brain with this. I'm trusting my life with it. My whole life is in this thing. Now, he was a cool dude. He was such a neat guy. He was a very quiet, understated, didn't talk much. And I'm a not understated, talk a lot guy. So it was a good combo because I would just endlessly pester him, you know, and he was endlessly patient with me. Looking back on it, it's like I struggle to be patient with my students now. And he was so good to me, you know. But yeah, there's something about that. It's like, I think if you set yourself up with knowledge in a sense, because it becomes a question of like, there's all these conversations about heart and all the intuition and experiences and stuff. And I think the way he approached it was to really always be a student. And we say that, we pay lip service to this idea, but for God's sakes, the guy was always taking classes and learning something. I mean, all, you know, all the way up to the end, he was just always learning something, you know, taking weird classes, doing this and that. And in a way, I think imbibing all of these ideas, the beauty of China's culture and Chinese medicine is that just you imbibe one Chinese idea, that's going to translate into many other things. It's going to trickle down into many places. And, and so his path around this was to really learn Chinese medicine and to learn about Chinese culture. And I think what that did is it left him open to having experiences. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it left him open to being able to experience the world in ways that you know i think is perfectly possible through many 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 other paths but he just chose this one path like for example this is a guy i've got more more experiences than i can remember like 
we were eating dinner one time and then we were with other people. So we were actually sitting next to each other and uh, he, we were looking at the menu. We're at some Chinese restaurant and we're looking at the menu and he, he's looking at the menu. He's flipping the pages and then he's kind of looking and he goes, ah, nine, that's good. And I was like, I finally got to myself where I was like, instead of just instantly asking him questions, I had imbibed enough Chinese culture to wait see if I could figure it out first before I asked, <laughs> yes, you know, yes, so yes. don't be annoying. Right. So then I sat on it for a little bit. I quickly looked at, it. I saw, I was like, okay, what page is he on? And I got a quick look at him. Where's his eye tracking? What might he be thinking about right now? Well, he happened to be on the, like the drinks and desserts page. So I was like nine, nine, nine. I looked and I counted and there were nine desserts on the list. So then I'm like, All right, I think I got it, right? So then what you do is you sit on it for a second. You don't have a lot of time because he's going to start thinking about something else. So I'm sitting on it for a second. and But I'm trying to figure out how can I make him laugh? You know, that was always the thing. Like, how can I make him laugh? And so then he goes, ah, nine. So then the whole thing takes me a few seconds to get it sorted. So then I'm like, ah, number four. And then it takes him a few seconds and he goes, Oh, you're going to get the tapioca, are you? Like that, you know? And then it was just, then you just burst out laughing and then we just move on. So, but it was constant stuff like that. And it was like, the thing about it was like, there were probably thousands of things that were happening during the day that I wasn't catching on to. He was thinking about that I just wasn't. Like, for example, so I had this very strange experience. I was, this was after he had already out to the East Coast. I hadn't seen him in a while, but so... I'm just living my day-to-day life. So I'm walking into my clinic, right? So I'm outside and I'm about, I'm walking into my clinic and I'm about to open the door to go inside to the clinic. So I'm still outside. So I'm about to go into the clinic. And for whatever reason, something caught my eye out of the left side of my eye. So I just look over and I just, for whatever reason, just as I'm about to go inside, I just look over towards basically what I'm doing is I'm now I'm looking across the street on down the street. And immediately what I see is no kidding. There's just a ghost, like just a ghost. And again, I'm not the kind of person that sees ghosts. I'm not predisposed to think that they're around and look for them. I'm like, I'm a pretty just kind of lumpen sort of soul. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, ghost. Oh, look at that. How about that? Yeah, it was. Like, but the funny thing about the experience was that, first of all, there was no doubt in my mind what I was looking at. And look, I'm primed for doubting. I doubt everything. Right. So then I'm looking. I'm like, that's oh, a ghost. No kidding. You're like, you know, that is a ghost. There is no chance that it's anything but that. And my instant response upon seeing it was to feel kind of bad for it. Like, I just instantly kind of felt this compassion come out because it was like this it looked like a lost soul. Like I just, it just instantly transmitted this sensibility of being a lost soul to me for whatever reason. And then, so I just was like, oh, and I felt kind of bad. And the funny thing about it was, it was like, the thing about seeing a ghost is like the cognitive dissonance was like built into it because here is this ghostly, semi-translucent, apparition floating down the street it's like a victorian woman with these long tattered damask gowns you know what i mean it's like it's like this is not you know it could have been a ufo from a picture and I, you know it couldn't have been any more cognitive dissonance in it but i was like i was like nah this is a ghost right so my first thought is like i'm gonna just was like i just had this like weird sense of compassion come out i was like i just felt bad for it it looked just kind of empty like it was looking for something and then my second reaction was my hand shot up and started waving at it 
So just out of nowhere, like involuntarily, basically, my hand went up and I'm just waving at the ghost. I'm like looking at it, waving at this thing going down the street. And then I'm like, my hand is up and I'm like looking at my hand like, what the? What the hell? This is so weird. Yeah. And then I look back and the thing is gone. So then I'm like, I don't know, whatever. Okay. So I just walk into the clinic and I get on with my day and I didn't say anything to anyone about it. You know, it's just kind of like, it was just whatever, you know, it just happened to me. So then sometime later, I was actually hanging out with my teacher and uh, we were just relaxing. And I was like, oh, dude, I forgot to tell you. I saw this ghost the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I was like, dude, I saw this ghost. It was, it, was, it was totally wild. And he was like, you saw a ghost? And I was like, yeah. And then he looks at me dead in the eye and he goes, did you wave? And I was like, oh, you too? You know? And he's like, oh, dude, it's like weird, huh? He's like, you have to wave. And I was like, no way. And I was like, you see ghosts? And he's like, yeah, they're all around. He's like, remember we were driving yesterday? He's like, there was one coming across the street. Didn't see that one. And I was like, no, I didn't see that one. He's like, they're they're around. Uh, he just, but just like totally matter of fact, like not even like not trying to put me on. He's like, did you wave? I hadn't told him about that part even. You know, I was like, he just looked at me dead in the eye. So, did you wave to him? I was like, how did you? He's like, I don't know. It's so weird, isn't it? In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I'll know what to do next time I see a ghost. I've got to wave to it. So... I love stories and you're a great storyteller. This is really fun. I want to come back to, for a moment, your relationship with your mentor in the restaurant where you guys are like playing with the menu. Okay. Mm, nine, right? And you're like, all right, what the hell is this? Game on. <laughs> Doesn't it seem to you that clinic is kind of like this? Like we're sitting with people and they're putting out messages and it's like, all right, Mr. Acupuncturist, can you pick up what's actually going down here? Because I don't even know what's going down here, which is why I'm here. <laughs> All right. But they put things out. They put something out just because that's who they are, and that's what they are, and that's how they are. And it's our job to figure that out. And yes, we have our diagnostics, and we have our methods, and our perspectives, and our experience, and our intuition, and all of that, but sometimes it, it, and I don't mean this lightly, but it's almost like a game. Like, are you picking up what I'm laying down? Right. And it's kind of playful. There's like a playfulness that goes with practice. 
and like those are the sweetest moments too like that little playfulness where you you connect with your patient in that kind of sweet moment too it's like those are just the moments where it's like those moments when they realize that they're understood because mm -hmm. when can you ever go to see your doctor and be like doc i got this eyelid twitching thing and it just won't quit and on top of that like i just feel like i need to stretch my torso all the time and it's like my ribs are driving me crazy i don't know am i crazy and the doctor's like oh well that's not the word i would use but you know what i mean like maybe so it's like then they come to see us and we're like oh yeah yeah cool i got a little blue palm for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah, that fits. So there's something about the education there that's nice. But then to speak to the idea, there is something about being able to read between the lines. And I think there's a certain skill. And again, again, I have to bring it back to my teacher because this is not something that is that the funny thing with him is like, for me, in a lot of ways, he was like the best friend I ever had. And the reason why I would say that is not because of the amount of time we spent together or the deep emotional connection we had with each other. It was that I could say anything to him, anything, no matter how bizarre or even just downright asinine or, you know what I mean? Like I could say anything to him and he would just look at me and nod his head like, yeah, I see what you mean by that. So it was like very nice. It gave me so much space as a young man where I didn't know myself, had insecurities. And here's this guy who just gives me endless space to just kind of make mistakes. And to be who you were. To figure out how to be who I am, you know, and like, yeah. yeah so it's like, so I owe him everything for that because thank God for my wife nowadays. So it's like, it's something about that. And I think that was a skill that he sort of subconsciously imparted to me because I would see how he would operate in the clinic as well. And it was like, he could get really complex diagnoses out of fairly limited conversation. And it was like, he could glean a lot and now looking at it, it's like I sort of am starting to catch on to that skill a little bit because I notice that my students, I supervise over at the college, the interns, they're trying to learn to do acting. When they ask me questions, then I'm like, I hear a couple of pieces of information. I'm like, ah, here's what I think is going on in this, this long description. And it kind of blows their minds. You know, so there's on the one hand, there's something about the basic skill of Zhang Fu and diagnosis and signs and symptoms, but there's something else about being able to hear the patient and not get stuck on the words, but to hear what they mean. It's a certain kind of mindset that I often fail to give that kind of space to my own wife. Maybe that's the hardest place to do it, but it's like, what a skill yes. to hear what people mean and not get hung up on the semantics of the vocabulary and the grammar and stuff. Well, you used a word here that just rang me like a bell. You said that he could glean what was going on. He taught you how to glean what's going on. When I think of gleaning something, I'm back to Oracle. You get a glimpse, necessarily have the full picture, but you have a kind of gestalt. You want a gestalt? So what I would do is every time I would go, in, after a couple of years of working with him, every time I would go in to see an adult patient, I would write down all the points that he had put in them. And then I would go and sit down and try to figure out what 
he was thinking and what little I knew of the case, I would try to at least figure it out. This is how we learn the medicine. This is how all of us learn it. We learn it by reverse engineering. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And so I asked, so every once in a while, if I couldn't put the pieces together, I'd be like, yo, I don't understand this treatment. I'm sorry to bother you, but I don't understand this treatment. He'd be like, he'd look at it. And then usually you have something to say to me, you know, 99% of the time you would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one time there was this treatment and it wasn't that the treatment was so weird in a sense. It was like, I was having a little trouble even figuring out what points they were by location. It was like, there was just something odd about the treatment. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was just like, this treatment I don't understand. I don't even remember what the case was, but it was like, I just remember writing it down and being like, I don't, I don't get this at all. I'm confused. And so I went and asked him and I said, look, I, uh, what's this treatment? I don't get it. I know a little bit about this patient. I don't get this treatment at all. And he kind of looks at it and then he kind of looks at me and then he was always so good to me. And he just kind of looks at me and he doesn't say anything for a minute. And then he kind of, he goes, well, he goes, look, and he's like, and he kind of, he, he kind of hems and haws a little bit. He's like, look, man, here's the thing. Like, I've been doing acupuncture for 25 years. I've been treating 60 patients a week pretty much that entire time. Sometimes when the day is right, he's like, I just walk into the room, the patient lays down, and I just see on their body, I can just see what points need to be needled. I just see it. I can just see it. I don't know how to describe it to you. I just see it. So I don't know. That's what happened there. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then so I was like, oh, so first of all, that's like, uh, that kind of threw me off. I was like, you, what? <laughs> Don't change the game on me here. But then as I sat with him more, he said something else to me at a different time. He said something like, he goes, you know, I'm endlessly pestering him with questions. And he, he responds to me, he says something like, he goes, he goes, look, the more I do Chinese medicine, the less I understand about how it works but the better my results seem to get. Mm -hmm. And after he said that, then I came back around to it. I was like, that's the thing, isn't it? That was, you put those points in. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. He's like, I don't understand why I see these points. I don't understand even what the points are. He's like, but if I follow that intuition and I just needle them, my patients are getting better way faster. He's like, I have no idea what's going on here, but if I follow it, my patients get better faster. So it was like, something about gestalt it just feeds it just keeps expanding it's like a cone or something the more you do it so the simple ability to glean somebody's mind state from other information the ability to glean how your patient feels just based on how they're describing their situation i mean to really feel it inside yourself and have that give you useful information and we're not talking here about projecting. We're not talking here about our own imaginative ability. We're talking about this other, again, I love this word glean. It's a kind of perception. Yeah, it's something that's undeniable, yeah. But it doesn't have words attached to it, and it probably doesn't have a story attached to it either. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just, it's an undeniable sensation in a sense. It's like you just know something. Mm. It's like, if I'm not sure, I, then I can be pretty sure I'm probably projecting. I'm still thinking it through. I'm not quite there yet. And it's like, what it makes me think is that like, there's an element of levels of 
gleaning, so to speak. So the ability to just glean a diagnosis from relatively limited information, the ability to predict a person's personality just based on their facial structure Mm -hmm. and then to have your patient be like oh my god how do you know all that stuff and you know it's like okay that's not that big a deal but the ability to do this works just in further and further levels so it's like as you gain one skill that primes you for the next level up in some way so here's this guy he's been treating 25 years 60 patients a week for god's sakes so it's like he had reached a certain level where it was like his gleaning was not the kind of gleaning that was about information verbal information his thing was like look it would he's like it would be easier for me if the patient just didn't talk he's like i would prefer to go in and just do the needling i don't need to talk to them he's like the talking part of it that's for them Mm. that's for their benefit so they feel heard but they're talking i already know what i want to do you know, a lot of the times. So it's something like that where it's like at at higher and higher, you begin to build that skill at higher and higher levels. And the more you work on the skill that you can recognize, the more likely you are to have higher level skills that you didn't even know you had the ability to have Mm -hmm. on some level. So that weird stuff. And which brings us full circle back to this thing of like my life trajectory was entirely a gift of the universe and it's like and then on some small level like this gleaning ability just suddenly out of nowhere you'll just have a thought or an intuition just knowledge that you can't deny and it can be a brand new thing that you never experience and it just pops out of nowhere and there it is and for me i'm going to call it sensibility it very much comes from what we were talking about earlier of living into the framework that Chinese medicine invites us to look at the world through, Mm. not to use it simply as, oh, here's a tool I use it on occasion, but to look at your life through it. That's a whole different thing. And the other thing that I found with acupuncture in particular is that if I work with a, a certain system and I just hang with it, I just do it, I just go all in on it, it will teach me how it works in time. If I can get the basics of it and then practice, 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 the system itself will teach you. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing. We learn about the five phases. We learn about the six chi. You could just spend your life investigating yin and yang. It will change your perception. Your brain changes. Your perception changes. That is a funny way to say it. You know, the system will teach you. It is like it is like that, isn't it? I yeah, never, it is like I, that. I had never thought about it that way, but it is exactly what it is. The system teaches you, like the teach. The oracle is built into the system somehow. It's, it will teach you, but it takes time. The ghost in the machine. <laughs> the ghost in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, there is a spirit to it. There is a spirit to the work that we do. Yeah. What a strange thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky us, huh? Yeah. 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 It's cool. Yeah. Well, David, this has been really a delightful hour and cup of tea and investigation. I really appreciate being able to sit down for a conversation with you, to be able to sit down with all the people that I sit down with, because I never know where these things are going to go. Yeah, that's what I like about your podcast. Anything else that you'd like to share before we wind it down? I think I'm good. 
we've had a full meal here. <laughs> and come back and join me sometime. I'd like to see where else things go. Yeah, we'll get some tapioca. <laughs> Jinju night shot. We can have a little bubble tea. <laughs> good, good. All right, man. Thanks so much. Cool. All right. I like what David had to say about how we have a native intelligence, something within us that acts like the compass that Johnny Depp's character, Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean has, the compass that points in the direction of his heart's desire. And that Chinese medicine, if you practice it long enough, it will change your instincts. That to me, it sounds right. And I'd go so far as to say it's true. Our work changes our sensing and it changes our perception. Gazing through the tides of yin-yang and the interplay of the five phases will awaken something that allows you to see what is otherwise hidden when moving through the world of duality. You know, it might even be a part of the solution that helps us navigate away from the binary constraints of postmodernism. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. And in closing, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you'd like to get a glimpse of the connective essence of chi, do check out David's website. That picture of him with the kid, it's a complete delight. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.